Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hi there, it's Bridget McGowan, and welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. Today, I have with me Les Atkins. Les, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Here's my first question for you. You know, I like to dive into the content. Everybody who listens to me knows I like to dive right into it. I want you to think about a presentation that either you saw or you performed the presentation yourself, and it was one that just stuck with you. It was so unforgettable until it never left you. What made that presentation so memorable? All right. So it was, I, I got my MBA degree and I actually went to commence, commencement service and Les Brown gave the commencement service and he was amazing. Storytelling, um, he, he makes fun of himself. He makes fun of others. He laughs all the time. And it was so energetic. And one of the first, I'd heard about Les Brown previously to that, but I, I, and I'd seen him a couple of times, but this one was because I was getting my MBA. I graduated and he gave our commencement and just everything about that was amazing. And I have a tie into that. So about, I want to say three to four years later, he was on a stage that a friend of mine was putting together in regards to speakers and things of that nature. And I was able to share the stage with Les Brown. So I was able to not only hear that commitment service and get so motivated, but then it was kind of the first time that I'd, I've been doing speaking and things of that nature, but never at that level. And so at that level was the first time my first stage at that level was on the same stage as Les Brown and Sharon um, Lecter, who does the chicken soup uh, for women. And so I was able to share the stage with both of them. And it was just an amazing experience. But my parents were still alive. They were both there. Um, And so I got a lot of uh, positive responses from mine. And it was funny because I was on the stage and my wife brings this up all the time. I was walking on a stage and they had one of those fans on the stage and I kind of kicked it and I looked down, I said, Oh, that's not supposed to be there. And I just kept going and everybody laughed and it was all good. And my wife still reminds me, she says, I can't believe that that happened and you never missed a beat. And I was like, because I couldn't, I was on the stage with, I was sure I, I, I was the speaker after Les Brown. So I couldn't mess up. Right. So <laughs> But I guess that's the best, that's the answer I have for that. Les Brown, without a doubt, by far. I would say so. I would say so. Now, did you do anything different with your preparation? Because that, that feels like a lot of pressure. Did you, I did. did you, I, I, you know what? I, I've, I'd given this talk in a seminar, actually in Australia and Brazil. And, and, and so, but I knew I was going to be on stage with Les Brown. And I had a short period of time to do it, right? So I practiced, I rehearsed, and I had the, you know, uh, had the slides specifically arranged and, and got prepared, had one of the head mics. Uh, I prefer the head mics over the, the lavaliers. And so 
um i rehearsed it rehearsed it so i knew that back and forth and so there was nothing i was gonna uh i knew it so that if anything did happen i could pick up and i wasn't gonna lose my place okay that practice is key i I almost want to tell everybody I want you to practice your presentations going forward. I want you to practice them as if you are going to be presenting on stage after Les Brown exactly. or Les Atkins. Exactly. <laughs> you know, because, because that's, it, it's, and, and the thing about it too, when you rehearse it, don't just rehearse it from a notes perspective or things of that nature. One of the best things I ever learned was re- rehearse it in front of somebody that, you that that you love or care about or knows going to give you the right critique and then also rehearse it in front of the mirror it's like because when you're up there presenting it that's not the time to figure out where to put your hands or where to stand or how to move or what slides coming up next because a zillion things are going to happen wrong and you've got to be prepared to keep moving forward if the building falls down <laughs> so true <laughs> exactly exactly so true now a little while ago Les, you said that you are not a fan of the lavalier mic but instead you use what kind and why so i use the uh i've used the lavalier mic uh because a lot of times you'll use what they have right i've also been in a room of 100 people and did not have a mic available to me and had to project my voice to a hundred people, which luckily I have a, a good, proje- I learned through theater and things of that nature how to do that. I like the head mic or the, the, the back behind the head mic that is, that goes around because I, I, I can move freer. I don't like, in fr- I don't like being in front of a podium. I don't like, and a lavalier, if you have it, you know, I, I, I can use the lavalier, but sometimes the pack falls off, and even with the with the head with the head mic, you still have a pack. But it's just more comfortable for me. It, it feels more natural to me to have that yeah. and, and have that more freedom. Because if I'm moving oh. my hands and I have a lavalier mic, then the lavalier mic is going to move. If I have the head mic and move my hands, it's not going to it's not going to mess with the sound. So everybody, I want you to play with each of those different types of microphones and figure out which one is your preference. I'm going to tell everybody right now, stay away from the handheld mic for the reasons that Les just spelled out. You feel constrained when you have that handheld mic. Your whichever hand you're holding it in, it has to be close to your mouth all the time. So you're not free to gesture. And that can, the the gesturing comes down, which can cause the energy to come down, can cause the passion to come down. I've been in that position before where all they had was a handheld mic. I'd never been in that situation before. All they had was a handheld mic. And it was an audience where it was too large for me to to project, right? And how you project your voice is filling that diaphragm, making sure you have that diaphragm full of air. And so when you speak, your words are floating on air and it's projecting, but this, I don't remember how large the audience was. I had to have a microphone and that's all they had was a handheld. And I'll never forget. That was one of my worst performances. I mean, I I can't even tell you what the title of the presentation was, where it was, the date, (laughs) the year or anything. And that's so unlike me because I wanted to forget it that much because I had that handheld and I felt frozen. So everybody, whether it is the head mic that less loves or if it's the lavalier that i tend to be partial to however 
I've had my hiccups with the lavalier where the batteries die and right. all of a sudden cuts out and so right. on and so forth. I actually, um, I actually bought my own mic. Um, mm-hmm. I don't carry it around a lot of times because in the speaking events that I have done, um, I usually can request that. Uh, but I have my, I actually went, it's worth the, inv- if you're going to do any type of speaking, it's worth the investment to buy your own mic and then make sure that they have the system. Cause I have the whole setup that all I have to do is bring my mic and my little connector and I can connect to most any audio system. That's smart as well. If this is going to be more than just a side gig or just kind of a, something you casual, casually dabble in with speaking. And this is something where you really want to pursue it head on full on, then that's not a bad idea to invest in some of your own equipment and just have it with you. Correct. Les Adkins is a serial entrepreneur who has spoken to small and large audiences here in the United States and around the world. Les is helping people think, play, and pay differently with his companies and passions. How do you help people think, play, and or pay differently, Les? All right. So the first one is thinking. One of the biggest things that I... I work with a company called Herman um, International. Uh, they came out with HBDI, which is the Herman Brain Dominance Instrument. And it helps you understand how people make decisions. It's a little bit different than the personality decisions and things of that nature. So at the end of the day, one of the things that I really want to help people understand is that everyone thinks differently. And we make the mistake of thinking that well, since I think this, everyone thinks this, even when we're preparing presentations or talks or things of that nature. So you need to actually prepare, we call it a whole brain, but you need to prepare your talks so that it has different types of messages to get that single message across to those different thinking styles. And you know, some people think in logic, they're more logical. They think step one, step two, step three. You have the um we call it the high yellows, which is myself, where I can catch something, two or three things at the same time. I have a problem in my normal day-to-day world of not finishing sentences. But when I'm speaking on stage, I have to work and make myself finish sentences. I'll even come back and say, oh, I got didn't finish that sentence. So let me go ahead and finish that sentence for you. And so the best thing, what I mean by how people think differently is to always remember that everyone doesn't think like you so in the in the spirit of this podcast remember that when you're creating speeches or creating talks that you need to have different ways to get the same message across so that the people that think differently than you can walk away and say yeah i understand what that person was trying to say and then on the play is one of the things that I want people to understand is this old adage, and I call it an old adage, and I, I'm not a young chicken, uh, but I call it an old adage because the way we were taught is we were taught work hard, work for a single company, and you'll move up in that company. And you'll be successful and you'll get promotions. And you'll think that, well, I hate to be the one to tell everyone this, but that model has been broken for quite some time. Today's world is based on skill set. So whether you're 20 or 50 or above, 
and anywhere in between, you're going to get those opportunities based on your skill set. Uh, there are several great books that have been written recently that talks about how that old model is completely broken. And unless you are learning new things, one of the best things, and my parents are no longer here, but one of the best things that I got from my parents is my mom had her PhD in adult education. My dad, and they both got these after 50. Um, and, my, and my dad got his uh, doctorate of ministry. And so I gained the value of being able to be a continuous learner. And I think that we have, we get bogged down. I mean, if you look around us in the world that we're in right now, we get bogged down with something. Oh, I need to, and I, and I don't disagree with the, find the one thing that's your passion. I, I, I'm a firm believer, find that one thing that you want to go after. That's great. But don't let someone tell you what that one thing is. Don't let someone pick that one thing for you. Find something you enjoy and continuously learn. There's there's new technology out there every single day. And, you know, there's a song, uh, there's a, a line in a song that my mom used at one of her, she, she won an award for one of her at OBU, uh, which is Shawnee, Oklahoma. And she used this verse in the song, babies born today will learn much more than I'll ever know. And, you know, you and I were just talking about how we're so connected with our phones and things of that nature. And it didn't used to always be that way. So when I talk about play is you don't have to work 24-7. If you're not finding some time to play and enjoy your life, then what are you doing? Because the first thing when you die, they're not going to ask you for any credentials. They're not going to ask you for any paperwork. They're going to say, hey, what did you do in life? And if you start going through your resume, you're going to realize that was kind of like, wait a minute, I didn't spend time with family. I didn't go climb a mountain. I didn't go walk on a stream. I didn't go travel. Anything you want to do. And in today's world, you can work. I've been to Turkey, Brazil, Australia, and I was able to go there because of the work opportunities. Doesn't mean I didn't work there, but I also played and I got that great opportunity to go enjoy myself. So that's kind of the play side. Not to sound morbid, but you reminded me of something that a student told me a long time ago. She said, no one gets on their deathbed and says, I wish I worked more. Exactly. No one does that. I wish I'd have spent more time with my family. I wish I showed more love. I wish I'd shown more forgiveness. No one, and, 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 you know, no one does that. So play as hard as you, you know, play as hard as you work. And sometimes you might need to just step away and play for a while and then come back after you're refreshed. And we have, you know, my mother was a workaholic. I am not, I don't consider myself a workaholic, but in the last several years, I've been working way more than I used to. Right. Uh, but I still find time to enjoy myself. I have, I have, I don't have kids. I have fur babies. So I enjoy my, my, my babies. My brother has three kids who they have kids. So I enjoy being the uncle and things of that nature. So enjoy yourself. And finally, for pay. Um, in the last, since we created this company in 2012, um, that is changing the way people purchase gift cards and the way people purchase things called digital gift. And so we're actually kind of disrupting a couple of industries, the, disc, the the gift card industry, and we're working on something that I'll only tell you this. It's going to allow those of you who are fans of crypto to be able to go use your crypto in a day, day-to-day matter to buy things like milk, pants, clothes, whatever. 
And so we're going to basically take crypto from the, this big, scary investor world and bring it to the person on the street that can say, hey, you know what? I've got this crypto and I want to buy this Coke. So I'm going to use crypto and it'll automatically be able to do that. So that's the that's what we're doing. So in the pay part, we're just we've already we've disrupted the digital gift card industry or the gift card industry by creating a, an app that, that you can purchase and you can actually personalize it. Um perfectly personalize it and put memos on it, things of that nature. So that's where I came up with the think, play, and pay. So I hope that answered your question. <laughs> it does. It does. And it leads me to another question. So I heard you say in the last several years, you have been working a little harder than in the past. And I'm going out on a limb. I'm going to assume that maybe this little thing called a pandemic had something to do with this working harder. How did the pandemic affect your speaking engagements and how did it affect you personally? So interestingly enough, the pandemic ended my person-to-person speaking engagements like it did a lot of us, right? And so one of the interesting things I was able to, because I'd been doing it for years, I've been in technology since the late 90s. And so I was working for a company called Gateway at the time uh, in 98, 99, 2000, I would love to have another 2000 because I sold a lot of computers and, and servers because of the 2000 bug. But I was able to very seamlessly move from in-person stages to virtual presentations. Uh, I was familiar with Zoom. I'd been using Zoom for years. So when everybody else was trying to learn the technology, I had already been using it. So that move from stand-up to virtual wasn't hard for me, but the virtual gigs were actually very few and far in between, correct? And so I was able to continue doing seminars virtually, having meetings virtually, doing talks virtually, and I knew how to move from the stage to that virtual environment. To So I didn't have the same kind of um, learning curve that a lot of other individuals had as far as the technology goes. The other thing that it changed is I had to find something to supplement my income to make the basically pay the, you know, pay the bills. So I was working on this uh, company. I'd been working on this company for a while and I, I was, I was basically using speaking gigs to enhance my, my income. And to that was the main source of my income. So I had to find other ways to bring income in so I could continue doing the things that I love and really started focusing in on this app that we created because uh, the app launched about three years ago. It's both in Google play and Apple. I'll, I'll get a little plug there, uh, but, but the, uh, but, but the, but the, uh, it launched about three years ago. We've been continuously making it more user-friendly, making it better, making it so that it's more intuitive and people around the world can use it. And so that's kind of what I mean by I've, I've kind of worked more harder in the last several years of the pandemic. Plus I'm home. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story if you don't mind. When my wife and I always traveled, she was a flight attendant, she she retired, and I traveled 250 days a year. So I was actually, we all were, we both were traveling. So when the pandemic hit, and, we, and we'd been doing that since we knew each other, uh, we didn't even live in the same state when I asked her to marry, us, marry me and we got engaged. We'd always been apart. And so when the pandemic came along, we looked at each other and I said, we're going to be in the same house together for long periods of time. I think we can do it. And we jokingly joked about it, but we actually had to have that conversation because we weren't used to seeing every, each other on a daily basis. 
we were the type of people that were like don't you have a trip to go on anytime soon you know it's like so we had to we had to adjust to that and 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 i will tell you it's great um everybody has their issues right but but we managed to do it amazingly well and i think we've grown you've grown closer together um but it's kind of that 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 perspective of that's why i think i've worked hard harder not harder um i don't i i don't want to say harder but i've worked more often more hours in the last three years because when you're at home i work all the time i I don't take the i mean yes i take the weekends but i I don't have a nine to five so it's easier for me to 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 come in do something really quick and they go watch a tv show and eat a bite to eat and they come back to it so i guess that's what i mean by work harder in the last three years no that makes sense i you know so many of us had to make huge shifts and especially in the speaking world, like you said, the face-to-face engagements just were a thing of the past. I had a guest on recently where he said 17 speaking engagements were canceled on him uh, when the pandemic hit. I can't remember how many I had canceled, but it, it was in the double digits as well. Where right. And so we were all making the shift. And I found it kind of cool where you said, when everybody was trying to learn Zoom and understanding where their camera was and everything, this was already part of your world. And I was the same. I was in the same boat. I've been working remotely since 2009. And so when 2020 hit and we're all working from home, it was no big thing. Now, I have to ask you, based on that shift, I know you started doing probably a lot more virtual Mm -hmm. speaking engagements. What would you say is the biggest consideration that you need to have in mind what is the most important thing Uh, the word thing is so nebulous but what is the most (laughs) important principle that you need to keep in mind when you do make a virtual presentation so actually it was interesting because a lot of times I was training other speakers on how to use virtual and I think the biggest change is you have to look you know I'll finish that sentence. You have to look at your camera as the audience because you lose that, you lose that connection, you lose that, that engagement, right? You can't see someone smile unless you have them on camera. But if you have a hundred people on camera, it's hard to, your technology might fail depending on what system you have, right? So the biggest thing I think that I've talked to people about and to tell them how to make virtual work is you still need that eye contact. And it's the old, uh, so my undergrad was in broadcasting and it's that old adage of when you look into the camera, you need to realize that you're looking at each individual person making direct eye contact with them. And that's vital to getting your message across. And then making sure also that everything works before you get on that virtual <laughs> virtual system. It has amazed me the number of virtual systems that virtual meetings and seminars that I've attended and people are scrambling around. They're like, oh, wait a minute, our mic doesn't work, you know, or wait a minute, my video is not working. And yes, so, so great example of this just about a week ago, Zoom went down for the world. It, it was down for a lot of the morning, right? And so people were having, some people can get in, some people couldn't, things that, those things you cannot control. But like preparing for this podcast today, I made sure that my mic was ready. I had, I don't normally use headsets. 
I'm using headsets today so that I don't have the access um, sound around the room, right? And so one of the biggest things that I think people forget if they're used to you know, speaking on stage is you speak on stage, you show up, they get you mic'd up, they, you make sure your PowerPoint's ready, and you go on stage and all this energy floods you. Well, you have to give that same energy in a virtual presentation, but you don't have the same triggers and the same feedback that you have in person. And so if I could tell, give you two things for a virtual seminar or a virtual speaking event, number one, you have to be just as excited as if you were in a room of a thousand people in front of a thousand people or a hundred people or 20 people. You also have to keep looking at the camera not looking at the person if they're looking at the camera, because if you look at the camera, you're really looking into the eye of the other person. And those would be the two things that I would highly suggest if you're doing a virtual seminar or virtual talk. Those are fantastic recommendations, especially that part about when you're looking into that camera, you are actually, you have to tell yourself that you are actually looking at your audience, even if you cannot see them on camera. And I like to tell people to think Texas when they make virtual presentations, everything in Texas is, is bigger. Is big, so yeah. you want your gestures to be bigger. You want your energy to be bigger. And yeah. I encourage people to stand when they make virtual presentations because there's a different energy that you feel when you're standing up and you tend to gesture more when you're standing. And then that brings a different kind of energy. Besides, if you were in a face-to-face setting, would you sit for that presentation? Not likely. I mean, unless it's a very intimate setting or some kind of a board presentation or something like that. But if we're talking about we've got this live audience, you're going to stand for that presentation. So why not stand for your virtual presentations as well? I would agree 100%. The one caveat I would make for that is make sure you have the right technology so that when you're standing, you have a camera that follows you. I have a camera. I'm not using it right now. I'm using my, but I have a camera that if I'm standing and giving a presentation virtually, it will follow me. And so that's the only caveat. I agree 100% with you that stand, get that energy, but also make sure that you have the right technology to do that. Because if you stand and you're using your computer camera, you've just put yourself outside of the camera. So that's the only caveat I would have. But I agree 100% with you on stand, get the energy, but have the resources to allow you to do that. Yes, absolutely. 100%. In a few minutes, you will have the opportunity to ask me a question less. But for now, my (laughs) question for you is this. What is a common mistake that speakers make that maybe they don't realize they're making? I think that the common mistake is, and I've seen this a lot, with both professional and up-and-coming speakers, is people, speakers, assume, and we all know what happens when you assume, but speakers assume that the job is to get everybody thinking the same way they think. They want, their goal their goal is, well, I want everybody to be on the same page when I leave the stage. Or I want everybody to be wanting to buy this book or buy this program or think this way. And I learned a long time ago that if when you're speaking, 
if everyone in the room agrees with what you said, you're doing something wrong because you're never going to have a hundred percent agreement. And if you're speaking, you need to be saying something that's going to cause someone pain, cause them a paradigm shift, cause them to think differently, which we as human beings, we don't like change. And if you're not changing, if there's not a message of change somewhere in your message, then in my opinion, why are you giving a message? Because I can get the same information in a book or I can get the same information somewhere else. But my biggest mistake that I've seen, and I, I made early on, I uh, used to drive me crazy. It's like, well, wait, why does this person not like me? Why does this person, you know, coming back at me? But then when I found that out, it's like, you know, my job as a speaker is not to make everyone happy when you leave the room. My job as a speaker is to make everyone think. Uh, Les Brown, the same way, you know, the, the big, you know, he's not here anymore, but Zig Ziglar was the same way, you know, it's, it's the speakers that make you think, uh, I've seen, and I'm not mentioning any names, but I've seen a whole slew of speakers and their whole goal is to get everybody on the same page. Well, that's not possible. And I've seen, I've seen some great speakers lately who go the opposite direction and their whole goal is to make everybody mad, make everybody upset and, and, you know, get that energy. There's a place in the middle folks that you can get (laughs) your message across, but understand that the goal is to give them something new. That's going to make them think and might not make them comfortable. Oh, so everybody let's start putting tax in folks seats. Let's start pitching. (laughs) No, no, but, (laughs) but no, it's, it's really about getting them to think. It reminds me of, one time a conversation I was having about PowerPoint design and slide design. And I said, if it doesn't have people uh, thinking, feeling, or acting, then the slide needs to be deleted or revised. But you want to have, and, and I believe in graphics on those slides, not a lot of words, great images, high quality, high resolution images that have people feeling, thinking, acting if they're not doing one of those three things if that slide is not accomplishing one of those three things toss it out don't get me started on slide design i, I hate agree. it when people say i know i know you can't read this slide well why is it in the deck exactly <laughs> i know you can't see this well why do you have it up there so <laughs> i love the eye chart slides i love the eye chart slides well here is a graph i know it's hard to read but i'm gonna explain it to you well then if you're gonna explain it then just put the bullet points that you're gonna explain in the graph so they can see that so I'm, I'm with you 100. Don't get yeah. If you and I, I think if you and I had started on powerpoints and and and, and power, we might be here for days and days and days. <laughs> I have that feeling too. I have that feeling too. But yes, it's all about making the audience think. All right, Les, what's your question for me? So my question for you is actually kind of a similar question you asked for me because I'm curious. How did the pandemic change your way that you your career and how you were doing things? Absolutely. Well, like most speakers, you made the shift to virtual. So in June of 2020, I immediately got my, what is it, virtual presenter certification from eSpeakers. 
Although, you know, I, I know how to present online and be right. engaging and so on and so forth. But you have to have the credentials, right? right? You have to have the certification that makes everybody feel good that you actually know what you're doing. Right. So uh, so making that shift to virtual was relatively easy for me. But like most speakers, a lot of those engagements were canceled, rescheduled, or postponed. As a matter of fact, there was an engagement that was supposed to take place in September of 2020. It has yet to take place. So we're still just kind of cooling our heels, waiting to see what's the deal. Right. So that's one thing that changed for me is making that, that shift to the virtual environment and then being able to prove to people that, yes, I can give an engaging performance, even from my home. The next thing, though, was like you, I had to find income. And so here's what's really wild, Les. In December of 2019, actually before that, maybe a few months before that, I decided to start a publishing company. And I was doing that because I really wanted to slow down traveling so much. I mean, I wasn't on the road 250 days out of the year, (laughs) but I was on the road pretty, pretty often, more than 100 days out of the year. I can easily say that, easily say that. So it's it's not as sexy as people think it is, you know. No. <laughs> uh, you're you're on this plane, on this train, in this cab. What you know? Ugh. It's not all that fabulous. So I started the publishing company because I always loved books, and I was kicking myself, thinking, "Why didn't I do this a long time ago? It just made sense." I had self-published my book in 2019 that ended up selling out at a conference. I didn't anticipate that happening. I said, wow, maybe I I know what I'm doing with this publishing thing. So I published another one and, you know, okay, yeah, guess I do know what I'm doing and put together a team and all of that good stuff. And then next thing you know, that was December of 2019. Well, we know what happened three months later. Right. So it was just fortune, luck the universe, I don't know. And I shifted gears and started putting a lot more energy into the publishing business, still doing the speaking, but not as much because, well, you know, nobody's doing events. Yeah. But then I started doing a lot more work toward the publishing company and it was, you know, really exciting and a lot of fun. Yeah. Great. 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 Yeah. You know, when you said it's not what everybody thinks, it's like, I used to joke because people come, how can I be you? Well, okay, wait a minute. You want to be me, the person standing up here in front of the stage. What you don't see is the hotel. I, I leave here and I drive, either hop on a plane or I'm driving five hours. I stay in nice hotels sometimes. I stay in not so nice hotels sometimes. I'm really tired. I may not eat as well as I should. I'm with you. It's like, you know, they, they only see, people see us showered, energy, and then they don't see us when we walk behind stage and it's our fifth talk in five days. And all we want to do is go to bed, but we still have to meet people and greet people and still have that energy and things of that nature. And you don't see how tired we are or how, what our next event is or how do we get there and those types. So I'm 100% with you on that. Right. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes and they just see the lights, camera, action, bring right. it, which you know, I get it. Uh, but yeah, there's so much more involved. I exactly. tell you, so much more involved. Exactly. Everybody, make sure you visit wherever you like to go and get your favorite apps. Visit your app store and download Les's app. Digit. Uh oh, is it digital gift or? It's digital gift. It's all one word. D i g i t a l digital, and then gift, all one word. 
Perfect. Okay. So download the digital gift app, all one word, and send Les a note either on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Just check the show notes. I have all of his social media handles down there. Send him a note on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn and take a picture of your phone with you and his app. And he's going to pick one lucky winner to receive a $100 digital gift card from his app and a 30-minute one-on-one interview on how to understand how people make decisions. So get the app, Digital Gift. Make sure you take a picture of the the app and yourself together. So, you know, verify that you, you know, did what you were supposed to do. <laughs> Let Les know on social media and he's going to pick a winner. Good luck, good luck, good luck to all of you. Yes, good luck to you. Les. Oh, yes, for sure, for sure. Can't wait to see who wins that. Les, what are some of your presentation must-haves, whether it's a virtual presentation or an in-person presentation, things that you just cannot do without? So whether it's an in-person or virtual? So in-person is a little bit different than virtual. Virtual, I have to have the right camera, the right microphone, a glass of water or a drink next to me um, and make sure that all those things are working way in advance of the actual event itself. You can't log on five minutes before the event and make sure. So you got to make sure all these things are working at least 20 minutes for the advance. And then you also need to log in and make sure it's still working 10 minutes before. So that's kind of the big thing for virtual for me. Uh, I also need to, uh, with virtual, what I've learned too is I like to use, technology that allows me to interact with the audience members. So I like to keep the virtual uh, attendance down a little bit. Uh, so not have a thousand people on a virtual event, more keep it down to a, to a manageable event so you can have interaction. And in person, I want to make sure that I have the right microphone or the right setup in the room so that I'm not going to be, that you can hear me. And so also make sure that I have the right PowerPoint and it's set up and ready to go. But I will give one caveat on that. If you are tied to your PowerPoint, then you need to stop that because you need to be able to, if the, all the technology fails you, you still need to be able to give a dynamic speech presentation and don't and don't spend a lot of time. I've seen I've seen professional speakers say, "Oh, you know, okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back." Don't lose that momentum. You should be able to give your talk with or without visual aids, and it should be powerful enough to survive without the visual aids. And so that's kind of one of my little. I just wanted to throw it out there, and I hope that answered your question. Those are great must-haves. Absolutely. Great must-haves. Anything else, Les, that our listeners can learn from you to make sure that they're just going out there and owning the stage? So I want to give you one last piece of advice. And I've heard speakers talk about this. Now, I understand, and, and I just went to an event. I hadn't been to an event as an audience member in a long time. And everyone kept talking about public speaking as the number one fear, only followed by death. So more people are afraid of public speaking than death. Um, You're going to hate this, but since I was a kid, I have not had that fear of public speaking. I was Uncle Sam. 
1976. I completely forgot my lines. I had to walk off the stage to get my prompt from my teacher. And I had to walk back up on the stage. And all these adults were looking at me. And I was like in sixth grade. And the first words out of my mouth were, what do you expect? I'm 200 years old. And everybody (laughs) started busting out laughing. And I went on and it was great. So, but here's what I will tell you. Even though I don't have that innate fear of public speaking, one of the things that an experienced speaker told me one time was if you ever lose that nervousness before you get on stage or before you're going to talk to somebody, you need to take a break, find something else to do because that nervousness, that energy gives you that power to present it to every single time so whether you're speaking to 20 people or 100 people whether you did it an hour ago and you're doing the same presentation now you know an hour later you need to give them the same energy because it's the first time they've seen it It might be the hundredth time you've done it but it's the first time they've seen it so you got to give it like you gave it the first time and i've heard people say well that's impossible Eh, it's not yes you can never you can only give your stock one time for the first time but you can have the same energy. You can use the same humor. You can use the same jokes, have the energy. And, and I learned that if you're ever getting ready to go on a stage or present something and you don't have that nervous feeling, then you might want to relook at what you're doing because maybe you need to change your talk. Maybe you need to change the way you're doing it. And so that's kind of my last piece of advice is don't ever lose that nervousness. And if you do, take a step back, figure out why you lost it and find it again. Because you owe it to your audience. Exactly. I feel the exact same way. If you don't feel that that pull in your chest, that feeling in the in your tummy, and you don't have that nervousness, then there's you should be concerned. Yeah. Because when you do have that nervousness, it means you are concerned about doing a good job. It means you are concerned about making sure you go out there and crush it. If you don't have those feelings, that means you're just kind of dialing it in and just kind of winging it. And no audience wants uh, a presenter who gets up and just kind of phones it in. Correct. Correct. So no matter if you give it a hundred times the first time, you've got to give it with that much energy. Exactly. That same zest, that same zeal. Les Adkins, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here. For sure. And thank you for listening to today's episode of Own the Microphone. Until next time, I am Bridge McGowan. 